Now we're good. What right does a man have to rule another? The figure is so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants for a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Freedom. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? I mean, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. Together they can break us, we are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind, please don't you be so blind. I'm not in it for the fame, I'm in it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. That's it, everyone. Welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio, and thank you so much for tuning in. If you are on the live stream, sorry for the hiccups, but um, we had the Adobe Flash Clear crash on the website right before we got on. It is the first day of September. 2016 and we'll be live here for however long we want to be live here for if you are catching this on the delayed broadcast via blog talk radio thank you so much for subscribing to the feed be sure to share the podcast with people you know people you love and people you like and now we are going to turn our attention this evening to the election i know that on the last podcast we said we wouldn't cover it but this will be a spin that you have not heard yet in a conversation that is uh, yet to erupt in the alternative media, the alt-right, the alt-left, or even on mainstream media. So joining me uh, tonight, as usual, is Josh Wiley, statelesshomesteading.com. How are you, Josh? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me, Jake. And uh, I like that we are now identifying as, as alt-right, alt alt-left, alt-whatever. Well, you gotta, you got to put somebody in a box so you can beat the hell out of them, right? It was a masterful PR term that she coined, Well, wasn't it? Yeah, in order to obfuscate uh, the truth and the facts about what happened in her past and and her dealings in Mena, Arkansas, we'll get into here and in a little bit, and um, the clouded past of Donald Trump as well. So for those of you new to the broadcast, uh, Josh and I have been researching uh, our own facts and fictions and then came to, um, I guess, came to... How long have we known each other, Josh? Now, like uh, four years now, is that right? Four or five? I can't remember. Yeah, something, something like that. So we met about this time of the year. We actually met at this um, this uh, festival, Freedom Fest or Liberty Fest in Atlanta, that um, one of my friends at the time was uh, putting on, and um, and so what we did was um, he and I hit it off pretty well and chatted back and forth, and so now we have. Um, he was running his own uh, show uh, and his uh, own blog. It was called the Cerebral Industrial Complex at that time, correct, Josh? 
Uh, yes, it was my first foray into into the alternative media, and uh, not counting a video game podcast, <laughs> which was highly successful. What um, it's kind of interesting in and of itself. And uh, I was running. Um, we are not catalysts, trying to get it off the ground, trying to figure out. Uh, what I wanted this podcast to be. I was originally uh, more of an Alex Jones-esque person. I knew about uh, the New World Order, global government, or whatever whatever slang term you want to use for it. Um, but I had no um, idea really what, um, what it entailed. I, I knew that there was something going on that I didn't have a good grasp on. And um, with Josh turning me on to Peace Revolution, it, um, it shifted my focus away from uh, things of being uh, bombastic in nature, like Alex, uh, to more of a forensic uh, study of history and, and how, we, how we arrived at this place that we are currently and, and where we can go in the future. And so, that being said, uh, Josh has been telling me to listen to the latest Peace Revolution podcast and I was telling him a couple of weeks ago, it's 18 hours long, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. So uh, it'll be up on the website um, probably tomorrow evening or tomorrow morning. But um, that's where it all clicked for me. Because there, there was a big gap. I didn't understand what the gap was. There was a knowledge gap for me. I understood the forensic history of, of the, um, the bigger players, uh, that um, the politicians that we see aren't really the people calling the shots, that there is a, um, there is a uh, secret um, cabal, for lack of a better term, that uh, involves banking, uh, drugs, guns, um, wars, and um, mostly investment manipulations. And what we're coming to find as we get more into this forensic research of what of what the cabal or this group of individuals that are admittedly above the law now, um, but have um, have now cornered the market, and um, Josh and I keep asking ourselves, where is all this money going? And we're going to try to get down to some of the understandings of the background of the two candidates and how the the false choice that you're given in America now is um, is basically dis- determining who is going to or which faction is going to run um, which faction is going to run what used to be called under uh, the Iran Contra affair uh, the Enterprise and uh, we'll get into that here in a few minutes. Josh, um, once again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for turning me on to Peace Revolution to begin with. And um, the 18 hours that I spent uh, listening to this, and, and, it, and it happened over about a five or six day period, really did crystallize some of the questions that I had. I understood the big banks were bad. I didn't understand their role within the entire organization. But um, the way that I am now seeing this constellation of information coming together, it really looks like, for the most part, we're dealing with organized crime that has been around for a very long time and that has infested even even the highest levels of government, uh, corporations, but uh, more importantly, uh, the some of the three-letter agencies have spun off um, some, some of their people into this cabal and, and have in essence teamed with it uh, some would say take it over. I know that that's your theory, but have now formed this incredible dark 
movement, so to speak, against humanity, um, pulling the strings in foreign nations, uh, running drugs, and then funneling that money into the banking system, and even more dastardly than that, um, buying up government bonds with it so that now all the taxpayers are hooked. So we're all hooked to this giant monstrosity, this giant money laundering, drug running, gun running, weapons trade scheme that we were warned about from Eisenhower and stuff and that said that, you know, beware of the military industrial complex or like your pseudonym that you post Rusticus, you know, beware of the East India Company and what is the East India Company famous for? So when we see all of these things come together and then we see the politicians that we're presented, they are nothing more than front men and women with giant mafia ties. And there's some big-hitting individuals, and they do have some overlap because, you know, these people run in circles together. But what we're going to try to lay out here over the next few minutes, and I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to get to this, the two candidates that you have in the United States are two different factions of two separate warring um, mafias. Now, most people would argue that Donald Trump is backed by the Russians. I would say that uh, given Donald Trump's uh, demeanor, I would say that Donald Trump is backed by Donald Trump and he just does business with whoever can give him the best deal or whoever he can leverage the best and um, get the most desired outcome for himself. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, has connections uh, to the CIA, to uh, drug running in uh, Mena, Arkansas, as she was uh, married to Bill Clinton, uh, it became extremely prominent um, via Barry Seal, um, all of the drug running going out of MENA, and it became the Iran-Contra affair, which was not really a great name for it. So that is, a, in essence, a small backgrounder. Josh, um, what would you like to add to that, um, to that, I guess, introduction that I've laid out here for the for the listening audience and hopefully we didn't lose anybody because we're about to get into uh, some really interesting things that need to be brought up in american society and we do need to have uh, a rational debate um, among citizens do we want to participate in in this kind of activity anymore as a nation because it is your flag that is being uh, that these drugs and these guns are being wrapped in and sold around the world yeah so i think that was a uh that, that was a fantastic introduction to the topic. And that was the missing link for me, too, for a long time in recognizing that there were banking, financial, corporate, governmental, and intelligence ties to the drug industry in the modern age. That's certainly fleshed out. Uh, but when you realize things like the involvement of the, the British East India Company and the Dutch East India Company throughout the globe and how heroin... The heroin trade has been their modus operandi for, for what, over 200 years. Right. With the invention of – yeah, and then you have the invention of most of these big banks that we've got a clip that we'll play later from Richard Grove's interview with the HS, or HSBC whistleblower, which if you want to speak to some of the background of HSBC, I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, – just yeah, I mean, it, it's a bank born and born of and for explicitly the opium trade. And, you know, it's no surprise that they're involved in it today. They recently, uh, uh, it was originally reported that they were going to pay fines back in 2012 on, uh, on a case laundering drug money for Mexican cartels, knowingly. And um, 
after, it was reported that they were going to pay some slap on the wrist fine, and, and earlier this year, uh, a presser came out stating that they, w- they didn't even have to pay that anymore. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it, they're, they're pretty much a one-trick pony. It's not as if they've updated their business model much, but hey, it's a successful one, especially when you've got a monopoly. That is very true, and that's why. Yeah. Um, and, and so we'll, we've got a good clip there, I, or at least I do, for about three minutes that gives the entire background of HSBC and, and talking about why the Silk Road was persecuted and why that guy was basically thrown under the jail for running a um, for running a um, lack of a better term a, just a what is it like a forum I guess would it be the best way to describe that Josh an exchange forum yeah yeah that, I mean that's essentially what it is well since we're talking about opium why don't we do I've got an opium backgrounder here for everyone and this will this will springboard us into um, the conversation regarding Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump and and why we're given the false choice in America. And um, for those of you interested, I would uh, really look into the term that I used at the very beginning uh, called the uh, what the CIA used to call the enterprise, uh, trying to create a um, fully-fledged, self-running, self-funding um, um, operation by smuggling drugs and weapons to fund covert operations around the world uh, once again, operations that are out of the purview of the American people, but um, nonetheless um, running operations in our name, once again wrapping us or wrapping these operations in our flag and um, tainting you and your legacy as a free and independent individual around the world. So here we go. But it appears to be two things. First of all, you've got and you've had for the last mm, 300 years a very dynamic illicit drug market and heroin or opium are are two of the world's uh, most venerable international commodities the united nations in their uh, deliberation on narcotic traffic did research and estimated that the illicit uh, traffic in drugs all illicit drugs around the world is about eight percent of the world's economy four hundred billion dollars per annum it's the traffic in illicit narc, uh, drugs is larger than the traffic or the, the trade in textiles. So illicit drugs is bigger than textiles. It's a huge global commodity, and it operates like all complex commodities, uh, uh, somewhat outside the capacity of governments to control it. All right. Um, nonetheless, there appear to be several stimuli uh, that over the last 30 years have had an impact on the illicit drug market. Uh, one is been during the Cold War CIA covered operations, and two during the drug war has been the the, the failed uh, drug war. Uh, let's look at each of these two stimuli. Mm-hmm. Um, during the, the Cold War, uh, the CIA decided that they would contain communism, and when the when the Iron Curtain came down across the Eurasian landmass, it happened to fall right along the Asian Opium Zone, a kind of irregular band of opium-producing areas that stretches uh, from Turkey to Thailand across 5,000 miles of Asia. Uh, And I'm going to give Josh a millennial coin for that because Josh has written uh, a couple of articles about the the drug trade in Turkey and the significance of Turkey in the New Silk Road project that we'll have to talk about on uh, on a separate podcast. So Josh, the be- Eurasian Balkans, as uh, as the big new Brzezinski would call them. You know, it's it's really funny. I couldn't, I didn't have time to clip it, but I'll put it in the uh, I'll put it in the show notes. 
I do want people to be aware, and this is very crucial. I want you to be aware that when we talk about the New World Order or we talk about global governance or we talk about Zbigniew Brzezinski or Henry Kissinger or any of those characters, that we're not talking about some dastardly villain. We're talking about people – well, I guess it's a matter of perception, but – we're talking about people that have a different outlook on the world than you do. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh, in, innately evil and they're sitting in smoky rooms and, 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 um, and you know, sharing trade secrets. Yes, that stuff does go on. But, the, but one of the things that I heard Zygmunt Brzezinski say in that interview – I'll just post the entire interview, uh, Josh, that you had with Kissinger um, – uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski and um, uh, who was the other guy? Uh, Brent Skokoff. Brent Skokoff and all three the, talking. The interviewed by Charlie Rose yeah. at, at the top of the Rainbow Room. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unbelievable. So uh, there's a lot to be said if people understand what the Rainbow Room significance is, and I'm sure that my audience does. <laughs> If if that's what somewhere over the rainbow is, then uh, I never want to go there. That's very true. But what um, locked in a room with those four? But Zygmunt Brzezinski said something that I thought was very um, that I don't think a lot of us uh, would disagree with, and that is uh, that we have to somewhat curtail the idea of um, constant. Um, what did he say? Not materialism, but constant consumption. So once again, the. The solutions that they present are the problem, not necessarily the problems that they point out, because the problems that they point out are, are legitimate problems. We At just, least the, the ones that they're not They're ones you know, that are not fomenting, themselves. yes, right, correct. But, you know, that's in order to, you know, order out of chaos, in order to bring about the desired change that they want, you know, utilizing tactics like that. So... Uh, that being said, I just want people to understand that we're we're not lumping this into some cartoon fantasy land like you get off of the Alex Jones show, which is why I've become so critical of Alex is because he has moved his ideas and has moved his his message to something that is overtly cartoonish and it is it is not helping the cause to fight globalism. All it's doing is it's making all of us that have a, a, a legitimate beef studying forensic history and studying the modus operandi of these people and, and the worldview of these people that we fundamentally disagree with. It makes, it, um, it makes us look like clowns, which I think is probably the reason that Alex Jones is still alive. And I'm going to give myself a coin. So, mm-hmm. all right, Josh. Well, that that introduction brings us full circle to the to the adoption of the alt right right uh, terminology by the left, and yeah, and being able to now legitimately hook that sentiment in with neo Nazism, mm-hmm. not only in these fringe groups endorsing Donald Trump, but just the general rise of of fascists in alternative media. Unfortunately, well, you know what they say, Josh. System of government. Characterized by extreme dictatorship. Oh, I see. It's uh, fascism. Fascism. Wonderful. And you get a millennial coin, too. That was fantastic. Good setup. Mm, thank you. Well, I don't think you were intending to do that. So hopefully I, I didn't. Take, I take them when I get them. Well, you know, I, that's another thing that we have to. We, we do have to discuss that on the next show because we don't have time today because there's just too much to cover. Uh, and that's the rise of neo Nazism uh, around, around the globe, which is kind of terrifying in and of itself. All because of uh, some eight hour movie that somebody made that um, is a. Uh, uh, 
I don't know, Josh. You've seen it. I haven't seen it yet. So, the bastardization of history, or the creative, um, the creative interpretation of history, I guess. It's a it's a very interesting selective history. Oh, there we go. Okay, selective. Some of some of which is true, which is what makes it dangerous. Oh yes, uh, just like Alex Jones. So, as we move along, let's get into um, the topic at hand, which is the um, the election and the two people that are vying for your vote, as if it actually counts, people. Um, oh, they hack the machines, Josh. Give me a break. How long have how long have you and I talked about the uh, vote rigging and and how just un- unbelievably ridiculous that this is that we don't use paper ballots, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I think we're we're like one of the few Western nations that doesn't still use paper ballots. Yeah, because Britain did it with the Brexit, but you know can't do that in America because we gotta yeah count, count them all overnight too. You know. Uh, I wonder how they manage that. It's amazing. All right, so let's get into uh, the back. Let's get don't into. We, don't we wait all night to hear election results, too, Jake? Oh yeah, Wolf. Yeah, Brolf is yeah. waiting to tell us. Mm. So we've got. Um, all right, I'm going to throw the backgrounder at you, and then we're going to jump into the Clintons first. Oh, we got one real clip from the Clintons because we can just kind of expand on the clip and what it what it um, signifies, and then we can talk about Donald Trump and his dealings. We got a couple of clips for that, and then we'll tie it all together with the big banks. And then um, we've got some clips from um, from recent uh, transactions that we've done around the world that might have raised some scrutiny. So here we go. Here's the backgrounder of. Um, we're going to take you way back, back in time to this little town called Mena, Arkansas. And when Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were in the, um, the governor's mansion of Arkansas and some of the issues that came up in that era. We've got an incredible story here. Uh, we've got a uh, CIA apparently uh, inserting itself into both political parties. We've got... Uh, allegations and apparently eyewitness accounts of gun running and drug running on the part of the U.S. government. And uh, and so that's what that's in essence what it was. Uh, so, Josh, you want to give the high-level overview, and then I'll get into what they were doing um, with the drug money and why and this is very important for the American people to understand. So you're talking about a high-level overview of MENA, Arkansas, in yeah. general. Yeah, just give us a two-minute synopsis, a couple of the key players, um, and and then if I need to fill in some of the gaps, I'll fill those in before I run the next clip. Certainly. Well, uh, in the out-of-the-way town of MENA, Arkansas, which is a very convenient um, drop-shipping point uh, in, in the drug, global drug trade, simply because it's uh, the, first really, the first place you get in America if you're flying planes from South America. Uh, so, Mena, Arkansas, is uh, the small town was one of these prominent drug drop points, uh, and a lot of things were flown in and out of there: guns, arms, drugs, uh, all sorts of stuff. And the the entire operation was set up in large part by Oliver North, um, who uh, there's a lot of evidence suggesting that he's the primary guy who was in contact with the vast network of cartels that not only grew and shipped the drugs but also handled hits. There was uh, a like the Sinal- one- it was the Sinaloa cartel out of Mexico and then the Colombians out of um or the, 
was it the Colombians or the who was it that it was out of? Was it Nicaragua? Is that right? In Nicaraguans, Colombians. Uh, later on in the nineties, they they found out that it's the Zetas as well. So we're talking Mexicans. There's a lot of different groups. Right. But yeah, the most documented ones are certainly the Sinaloas, um, who I I think were also the ones who ended up killing Barry Seal. If yeah. I'm, not mistaken. I think it was the Colombians, but yeah, I think that was um, the Medellin cartel was the one that. Yeah, ended so up what, putting... you're right. It was the Medellin cartel. Yeah, so, that um, goes back to Pablo Escobar and all that stuff. Exactly. Uh, who's a Mexican drug lord? Correct. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, most of South America is, is under this the thumb of of this enterprise, if you will. No, it's um, what they wanted to call it. Yeah, and Barry Seal, who was a part of Operation 40 uh, in the Ken- during the Kennedy assassination, which includes a number of sorted characters. I'd highly recommend people look that up if they want to know more about it. But Barry Seal was in the Civil Air Patrol uh, commanded by um, Dave Ferry. Mm-hmm. He was in that Civil Air Patrol with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. That uh, so, sounds familiar. Yeah, so Barry Seal has been essentially an agency player since he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was one of probably many pilots we will probably never know the full extent of this but he was one of many people who were flying in and out of Mena, arkansas on a routine basis and uh the the whole operation really came to a halt in Mena mm-hmm. when as a shipment point when two kids ended up um being murdered uh for coming across one of these drops as, as it was in progress right um, and their, their, their bodies were, the murder was staged as a suicide. The state coroner of Arkansas claimed that these boys had smoked cannabis and uh, fallen asleep on the railroad tracks. Uh, and, whoa, they, whoa, before, be, be, before we go any further, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, before we go any further, Josh, you currently reside half the time near railroad tracks. And if anybody's listened to the podcast, when a train has gone by, I, I find it extremely difficult to believe that somebody could sleep through a train whistle. And if you've ever been near train tracks before or have ever been on train tracks before, when a train is coming, they get pretty dang hot because there's electricity going through them. But forget it. Whatever. Yes. Yeah, even on a traditional, you know, uh, non-powered line you'd, right. you'd hear the vibrations yep. the feel the vibrations and yes so the, this after this uh event happened the mother of one of the one of the two children was uh, incredibly uh you know fastidious in tracking down exactly what happened to her son mm-hmm. and brought drew a lot of public attention to the event so despite the fact that there was a cover-up the, the MENA operation could no longer continue, at least in the manner that it had. The sad circumstance, of course, is that we now have MENA Arkansas in every state in this country, yep. I would imagine, in many, in many different communities. And if you, if you know what to look for, they're not even difficult to find. <laughs> nope. And so going back to the overarching theme of what they were trying to accomplish in, in MENA with this... Um, with this um, gun-running, drug-running uh, ordeal out of Arkansas, is they were trying to fund the Contras, which was a um, an anti-communist revolutionary force. And um, once again, 
pulling in and ensnaring some of the agents uh, that are um, probably good agents uh, or people with good intentions. Uh, telling them that, look, we're doing this operation so that we can, um, we're shipping these guns down there so that we can help, you know, this um, this group overthrow communism because that was the big boogeyman in the 1980s. And so they pushed this idea um, through some of their lower-ranking staff of the CIA, and um, one of the, one of which was a, a gentleman that um, that was sent down to Mexico to set up a front company, and his name was Terry Reed, and Terry Reed wrote a book called uh, Compromised, uh, which was talking about Bush and uh, Clinton and the CIA. So the the interesting ties of together from from the uh, lineage of the uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and uh, Bill Clinton, uh, both of which uh, deep ties to this operation, uh, obviously ties to Oliver North and Bill Clinton becoming president, and that made it a, a, a national story that um, that was covered a lot. But um, nothing was ever done. Nobody was, uh, no affidavits were filed. Nobody was ever subpoenaed. Um, there were some people that gave testimony under oath, like Oliver North and Ronald Reagan, but no arrests were really made. So that just goes to show you how tangled the web is when we're talking about the Clintons. And um, Josh, you want to add anything before I get into where uh, what they were doing with this money that was coming through and how they were laundering it through the uh, through the system? Because um, as any good person knows, or as any good journalist knows, you just have to follow the money, right? Absolutely. I'd, I would just note, and certainly this is beyond the purview of this discussion here, mm-hmm. we were talking earlier about how the drug trade has been going on for hundreds of years mm-hmm. in its modern form, and that, that mercantile drug trade system has had to go underground, and it's now really run by intelligence agencies. But in its American form, it's much older than Iran-Contra, you know, certainly things that, that smack of prohibition, uh, we see the, the beginnings of the integration of the mafia right. and the mob with, with intelligence agencies and the FBI. But really, in, its, in the, the genesis of what we're talking about here comes from even the 40s and the 50s right. when the OSS, the awful Office of Naval Intelligence, and, and the early CIA is working with people like Meyer Lansky and Lucky, Lucky Luciano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... As as well as even a network of um, of Arab princes, as well as African um, uh, government officials, mm-hmm. to create this incredible, incredibly large heroin post war heroin trade. Uh, that really, when you look at the map, is just old British and Dutch opium routes right. and trading routes yep. that that the that America has inherited after the war. So when you look at even things like Vietnam mm-hmm. and, and, and the Golden Triangle, which is a tremendously productive opium region, uh, it, virtually all of American policy can be explained in some form through the drug trade post-World War II. Well, you'll so see that. Iran-Contra, in... yeah, I, 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 just, I, I just put a cap on this by saying Iran-Contra is so important because it's when they start really trying to financialize this enterprise of theirs before they're using it to fund other projects or to line pockets of corporations. Now they're Iran Contra is when they're trying to make it an enterprise. It's a perfect name. 
for what they were trying to do. It's disgusting, but you know you got to give them that. They like their Star Trek references for some reason. They do. They do. UN, all that good stuff. So um, one other uh, one other thing to mention, as Josh brought up, um, if you want to see some of the drug shipment routes, uh, Gary Webb, the um, the gentleman that um, committed suicide supposedly. Um, that was uh, writing the stories for the uh, San Jose Mercury News, who um, was covering a gentleman by the name of uh, Blandone, who was a CIA agent, and um, Blandone was selling to this gentleman uh, by the name of Freeway Ricky Ross, and for those of you that have followed my work long enough know that I interviewed Freeway Ricky Ross a couple of years ago. You can find that on my YouTube channel at wearenotcattle.net, or excuse me, We Are Not Cattle uh, uh, TV on YouTube, and I'll actually post that in the show notes as well, so you can see my conversation with Rick Ross and and understand my uh, maturation of understanding how all this stuff goes about and uh, the the many different layers that are involved. So that being said, let's talk about what happens to the money uh, once uh, once they sell these um, kilos of cocaine and um, and launder them to furnish these weapons and and what they were doing with them uh, in Arkansas specifically. And as Josh alluded to, this now uh, permeates throughout our um, our modern financial society, which we have some clips to back up here in a little bit. So here you go. Lassiter? That's a name I've heard before. Isn't he Bill Clinton's old friend and wasn't he convicted of cocaine charges? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dan Lassiter is another multimillionaire that enters into this story. Uh, Dan, of course, was a uh, very high-profile uh, bond trader who lived in Little Rock in the mid-1980s traveled in very high social circles. In fact, it was Dan Lasseter who not only uh, employed Finest Shellnut, but it was Dan Lasseter who employed Roger Clinton as well. Dan Lasseter employed Roger Clinton, the president's brother? Didn't they both go to prison on cocaine charges? Yeah, that's right. You know, it was uh, Roger who was Dan's chauffeur, actually. And, of course, it was Dan Lasseter and Roger who got involved in the the whole drug investigation that ultimately ended up ensnaring about 10 other prominent Arkansans, including an Arkansas state senator. So there was a multitude of people that went to uh, that went to prison over this story. Uh, another interesting point, though, that I point out in my book, uh, Lassiter and Company, Dan Lassiter's firm, is where Barry Seal was doing not only his, but the CIA's investment banking. You're saying, as an insider that you have knowledge of Barry Seal running the CIA's money through Lassiter and into the Arkansas bond business. That's exactly what I'm saying. You know, in fact, Barry Seal confided to me that he was taking millions of dollars of money uh, to Dan Lassiter to more or less be laundered through his firm in the form of loans, money being slipped back quietly to uh, CIA subcontractors, companies performing services for the CIA in Arkansas during this whole time frame. And one of those um, loans was the sweetheart loan given to this gentleman by the name of Anand Khashoggi. Um, an incredibly generous loan, wouldn't you say, Josh? Oh, especially given what he is trafficking. But maybe that's what uh, the such a large payment is for. Adnan Khashoggi, of course, is the C- witting CIA subcontractor and wheeler and dealer Saudi Arabian right. man who is best known for his role in Iran Contra and smuggling the drugs, so, or excuse me, the guns uh, mm-hmm. 
from from America to the Contras. So that's uh, that's one um, that's one connection right there. So the and Iranians, excuse me. <laughs> yep. So if you want to learn more about um, if you want to learn more about the Clintons in Mena, Arkansas, if this fascinates you, once again, I'll uh, link to uh, the Peace Revolution episode in the uh, show notes, so you can uh, chronologically follow that um, for your own edification and. Um, See what uh, see what kind of sense you can make out of it. Now let's shift gears a little bit, Josh. And now that we've talked a little bit about the Clintons and their background and and who they are, and we're not going to get into character assassination of Hillary Clinton, but um, just understand that these people have deep ties to uh, to the Central Intelligence Agency, to um, drug running, uh, money laundering, and this is the company that they keep. As you can tell, uh, Bill Clinton's brother was arrested on drug charges, uh, thrown in jail for that. Um, Hillary Clinton is um, is just as much uh, complicit in these uh, in these uh, incidents as. Um, as uh, Bill Clinton would be as well. So we're going to shift to um, Donald Trump. And one of the things that we wanted to uh, bring up was the idea that Donald Trump is this great deal maker. Well, that would be that's a it's a good story, Josh. Isn't it a good story that he's this deal maker? He writes the art of the deal, you know. But where does Donald Trump first get most of his money from? Well, he gets a lot of his money from these uh, business deals that he makes. Uh, one of the business deals I have a clip of here, and then I'll let you expand on um, the um, the casino and uh, the casino deal that he made with Holiday. Was it Holiday Inn corporate? I can't remember. Uh, one of those uh, larger chains. But let's go into yeah. um, real briefly. This is a, a two minute clip, so it's a little bit long. But this is going to show you some of the company that Donald Trump keeps. And so um, not the squeaky clean image that Alex Jones and all these other guys would like to make you believe that he is a true Americana. Well, I guess in the grand scheme of things, Josh, if he's laundering drug money, he is true Americana. He's an Anglophile. These... These these are British values, the yeah. values of empire, the values of the drug trade. America traditionally was not about these things. We have become about these things, and it's it's very sad. And everybody, you know, we are going to come full circle here in a little bit, so stay with us. Here is Donald Trump, um, and this is uh, an interview with um, – Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name, Josh, uh, the gentleman, Daniel Hopsicker. And Daniel Hopsicker has done some forensic research into Mr. Trump and his business dealings and, and points out some anomalies that, um, that I don't think that you and I could get this kind of a, a deal. Josh, here we go. Yep. You know, so we're talking about, about, about dirty money, okay? Um, and at the same time, yeah, I'll... You know, Donald Trump pocketed from a guy um, who, who Russian news sources say, you know, uh, was behind a number of contract hits, um, $90 million in dirty cash from selling this mansion to, um, um, to this Russian mobster. And I do want to make a note that this was in 2008, right as the housing collapse happened. So this is not like he sold at the top end of the bubble and got lucky. This is right after the housing crisis, uh, the um, the shorting of the um, the shorting of the markets, and uh, basically the economy going into stagnation. So um, to squash any ideas of oh he's just a good businessman, uh, I'm going to have to uh, 
I think I might have to put the buzzer on you. Nah, you're not just a good businessman. At the same time, a uh, California politician named um, Newsom, Guy Newsom, is that his name? Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom, yeah, was was getting tons of adverse publicity for accepting a $400 pen. Josh, do we see this going on today with modern politics, with Hillary Clinton and all of her scandals, uh, with the foundation, how they're all diverted away to talk about a pickle jar and stuff like that? They're, they're incredibly good at, at manipulating the, the psyche of the American people with diversion tactics, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, especially as it comes to, to scandal. I mean, the scandals they get publicized are much, always much less um, or, or certainly more superficial than the ones that the American people should perhaps be learning about, like that HSBC um, being a known money laundering bank hey, for Mexican drug cartels. Yep. You know that maybe that's something that the American people would like to know. Maybe they'd like to know that they got a slap on the wrist for it. Maybe oh, they'd like to know ultimately that they didn't pay anything at all. I've, like that should that should have been a long running story, a scandal in this country. Nah. But you know, let's let's see where uh, Huma Abedin's husband is sticking his penis and, this month. Yeah, and she doesn't have her wedding ring on. So we're going to continue with the clip from this mobster. From from Louis Lesser, oh, no no, Rebolov, Dmitry R. Yeah, Rebolov, Rebolov. I'm sorry, Dmitry R. We'll call him. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you know how, how bizarre is that? So you go well. How how does that happen? Um, and then you learn um, that everything Trump's been doing is legal because there's a major loophole. In American law, that allows you um, to build and sell um, $50 million, $75 million condominiums to people whose names you don't know. It's perfectly legal for Donald Trump to build three towers in Miami the way he did and, and, and sell the multi-million dollar condominiums to, uh, uh, you know, to ABC LLC registered in Panama through the Caymans, you know, ultimately to the Isle of Man, with, with absolutely no knowledge of, of who his client was. Now, now the U.S. has, for years and years and years, um, been going after um, countries like Switzerland and, and their banking industry for taking deposits from people who, whose, whose names they didn't know, and obviously they were laundering money. Um, um, and, and yet, here in the U.S., currently, currently, right at this moment, um, um, any international mobster that wants to owns U.S. property because this is the best. This is the best place to to, to to have your money. This is this is the place that will go down last when when the dominoes start to fall. And so that's um that's the the setup clip for Donald Trump and showing, um, yeah, he's following quite the letter of the law. But um, I think that we can. We can all agree that you know having shell companies buy million dollar properties uh, seems uh, a bit fishy, wouldn't you say, Josh? Oh, absolutely. And you know they, they touched on two mobsters there, Dmitry Rybolovlev, as well as um, Louis Lesser. Yep. Uh, the Rybolovlev connections are um, 
it, it's really hard to research this stuff because the entire country of Russia has essentially is essentially now run by the mob, mob and mob and intelligence people that have merged into one enterprise. Well, that sounds like that. That sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a very similar model. Wonder why that uh, worked out that way. Um, so, so as as American researchers who speak the English language, it's difficult to follow that story. Uh, I wish there were more enterprising Russian alt-media journalists, but I understand um, why they don't write about it, because uh, they, don't, they don't fuck around over there. No, they um, do not. Oh, Millennial Coin. There we go. First yeah. one of the night. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. As, as much as I hate our security state, at least they let us live. Yeah, very true. Okay. For the, for the most part. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, um, the illusion of freedom, right? All right, yeah, so now... Yeah, sorry, but... Yeah, before uh, before we move on, because this is a really important topic, I think to understand. Well, no, I've got uh, two cli- I got two supporting clips behind this, so yeah, go ahead. Gotcha. Because the from the same interview. Uh, yep. Okay, because you know if they if they go into the lesser stuff more, then maybe I'll hold off on the commentary. Okay, so here we go. I'm gonna do a a backgrounder, and then I'm going to get into uh, another person that Donald Trump has done uh, business dealings with. So here's a, a quick backgrounder on... Um, uh, actually, you know what? Let me finish up with these Trump clips. No, 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 no. That's probably not the best way to go. We're going to go with the backgrounder here. Here we go. Part of the world in South, is Southeast Asia is, is over a, a range of mountains and a few forests and across a couple of rivers, but it, you know there was also a problem with heroin there, and, and we saw as the U.S. became more involved uh, this flow of drugs started to increase into the United States. This is talking about Vietnam, by the way, which my father was a part of. And, um, and so they're talking about the, the threat of actually going into Afghanistan, and these guys are commentating on it. It's in a heroin problem uh, developed, and, and we saw there was definitely a connection between our military involvement. If the U.S. becomes involved in this region of the world, could we see the same sort of thing, an increase in drug trafficking, because Afghanistan, as we know, is, is such a large uh, potential producer of, of opium? The raw material for heroin. Uh, it's a very good question, Paul, and there's, a, there's been a lot of speculation about it. Uh, first of all, until uh, July of last year, Afghanistan produced about 75% of the world's heroin. Uh, it, it was the dominant supplier for Europe, uh, supplying about 80% of Europe, 90% of the heroin in the UK, uh, a somewhat lesser amount in the United States. Uh, and then in <clears throat> July of 2000, Mullah Omar the head of the Taliban, uh, issued a ban, an absolute ban on all opium production inside Afghanistan. And although the world didn't really believe it, UN observers and then a U.S. team in in, uh, the summer of this year confirmed that the Taliban had, with its usual ruthless effectiveness, implemented this ban, and farmers across the country, particularly in the prime production region in the Helmand Valley in south-central Afghanistan, tore out the crops, and that Pakistan had implemented a, uh, effectively a ban. Uh, and immediately, there was a 500% increase in the value of opium, in the price of opium in Central Asia, uh, a, a real surge in price. And then what's happened, of course, is that it turned out that the Taliban was also holding tremendous stockpiles, or at least the, the government and then the brokers, that were operating under the protection of the Taliban. And when the crisis erupted in early, early last month, uh, the first reaction was is that the stockpiles were surged across the border, flooded into the market, and the price of opium 
in the region crashed downward back down to about the same levels it had been before the ban was implemented. And it looks like the brokers are dumping their supplies on the market in possible anticipation of military operations that will seal the border and prevent Afghanistan from continuing its exports. Uh yeah, because we want that opium, son. Get off of us. Kind of like Donald Hot Trump tip. said. Kind of like Donald Trump said when he was on Alex Jones, where he said, "I think we should have gone over there and taken the oil and just taken it." Yeah, well, that's what we do. We're we're um, we're gangsters. Welcome to yeah, America, we, everybody. Say, we already do that, Don. Yeah. But, you know, a hot tip for anyone out there: uh, if if you want to trace this stuff, uh, find a good ticker for a pharmaceutical company who deals mainly in morphine, and um, you you can find how how sensitive it is to price movements like this. Okay, all right, so now we're going to dive into a little bit more of the Hopsicker clip. Now that we've got the background of Afghanistan, let's talk about one of the key central players with the Taliban in Afghanistan, and that is Adnan Khashoggi. Uh, so, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because Khashoggi is uh, he's a Middle Eastern mobster. And yep. if anyone's seen Don, Dan Hopsicker's uh, other research on uh, Mohammed Atta and the Venice, Florida CIA operation, you'll see that these guys truly are you know, Middle Eastern mobsters. Uh, and uh, it's not surprising, you know, if I've got an article up on my site, uh, statelesshomesteading.com, called The Sustainable Gladios in the West African Drug Trade, that documents quite succinctly that, you know, that Lansky and Luciano were using uh, Leban a Lebanese syndicate to launder most of, or to, to ship most of, transship most of this heroin down through the Gulf of Guinea. Mm -hmm. So... It's these are these are very old connections, mobsters and uh, and Wahhabists working together. Yep. Um, and so, if, go ahead. Yeah. So Khashoggi is one mobster in that respect, but we have to touch on Louis Lesser, I think, uh, real quick before we move on. Sure. Lesser is also a made man, and it, it, look, this isn't as Hopsicker always says. This isn't rocket science, people. If you know the connection between the mob and the CIA then it's not very, it doesn't take a lot of intuition to realize that the mob owns a lot of casinos. They do a lot of business in, in gambling or states where it's heavily regulated. They're a perfect front for laundering all sorts of cash, for operations, for drug money, for arms deals, for pretty much whatever you want. So if you own a casino and you're a made man, like, you know, like Louis Lesser was, owning well, lots of them. Is there another, then, is there a guy running for president that owns casinos? Uh, I think there is. Um, I, what was the first casino he bought? I can't remember. Was it the one in Atlantic City? It was uh, at the Taj Mahal. That's right. And and go ahead. Who owned Who owned the Taj Mahal? Who before Donald Trump? Who sold it to to Donald? Go ahead and tell us, Josh. I think you know. Was it Louis Lesser? Which was actually in the interview, so I'm going to post the interview as well so you guys... I'm yeah. going to post all this stuff so you guys can find it really easily and see what we're talking about. So one, one, more, one more juicy bit on mm -hmm. Lesser. Yep. Uh, also in, in this article, if anyone out there follows the, um, the gold trade and gold flows from west to east, which I write about a lot because I, I think it's tremendously important, um, you'll also find... If, if anyone's familiar with uh, anyone who talks about hidden gold or uh, Yamashita's gold, which is a, a Japanese military hoard that supposedly has not been found, uh, Louis Lesser's son, Clive Lesser. Uh, yeah, he was uh, the one that went out there and tried to. No, go ahead. 
I'll let you do it. Yeah, he, he was working with Ferdinand Marcos, mm-hmm. the dictator in the Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, and, and managed to track down at least a portion of this gold. Yep. Uh, and what happened to it since is, uh, is not known. So, you know, Bix Weir, who's a conspiracy researcher who says this gold is, uh, is still out there on the run and the Chinese have it and are going to use it to save the world, eat your fucking heart out because uh, we know where that gold went. And it's in the hands of the mob <laughs> and, and the intelligence agencies that control them. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. All right. That was well done. All right, so here we go. Um, now getting into Anand Khashoggi and the Donald Trump ties with Anand Khashoggi. You know, Daniel, let me uh, jump in. Something that looms, uh, I think, very large in the background of uh, the Trump landscape that you have been uh, setting forth and that is uh, presented uh, at greater length and in greater detail in uh, two articles in the Mad Cow Morning News. One of them, Donald Trump and the Palm Beach Homies that you published on March 9th. And then Donald Trump, Dirty Money and the Filthy Rich in Palm Beach that you published on March 17th of this year. Uh, Since you published those articles... A major story came out about the Panama Papers and the Mossack Fonseca operation out of Panama. And many of the people that you have spoken about, for example, uh, Dimitri R., and uh, also the Marcos uh, fortunes and the Marcos family, are some of the many names that were taking advantage of uh, the Panama Papers. So as the... A story of the Panama Papers unfolds to the extent that it ever does. Uh, people might want to uh, get a hold of your articles and uh, take a look and see how many of these names uh, cross through the uh, general landscape of the Trump operations as well. The, the, the guy that Donald Trump has been close, most closely associated, well, maybe not most closely, uh, most interestingly associated with over the years is um, Saudi billionaire and CIA fixer Adnan Khashoggi. Tell us about Khashoggi and Trump, uh, Daniel. Um, well, um, Trump bought Khashoggi's uh, uh, yacht, which was at that time, the, like I think, the longest in the world. Um, when when Khashoggi in the early '90s hit hit a rough patch, um, there there's well. I've got information, you know, and they were close. Otherwise, uh, Khashoggi was at his most uh, Trump's most recent wedding. Um, plus, I had information from a source over in Palm Beach that when um, um, Adnan Khashoggi was under um, indictment for um, um, ripping off a bank, the second largest bank in Thailand, um, and Interpol was searching for him around the world, he was hiding out in a in a bungalow. Um, at Mari Largo. That is one of Trump's uh, you know, high, uh, upscale uh, real estate developments. Yeah. And, Down in Palm Beach. Uh, Adnan Khashoggi, very briefly, a fellow uh, d- deeply involved with the Iran Contra scandal, uh, also uh, an early financier of Al Qaeda's operations when they were working for CIA, uh, a fellow who helped to finance the Truther movement. And a fellow who actually got his start in business by doing a $25 million truck deal with Mohammed bin Laden, Osama's father. So, uh, 
All right, there's a lot of Mario coins there. All right, one last clip with Khashoggi, and then we're going to tie this up in a big bow and uh, let Josh have some closing comments on this. Khashoggi also um, part of uh, the, the Trump landscape fixture here. Yeah, I mean, um, the guy that owned the uh, uh, flight school in Venice, Florida, where I still reside, um, that, that taught Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shehi uh, uh, to fly, um, was um, indicted by, uh, by by the government in 2004 for flying around from ni- from 1999 now on unnamed Saudis. Um, Khashoggi, uh, Khashoggi was one, and and after uh, uh, after 9/11, um, a year after 9/11, a guy got in touch with me um, and told me that Khashoggi and he had pictures, so so it's obviously true. Um, Khashoggi had hired um, Wally Hilliard. Um, and, and to to uh, Elysium planes to uh, uh, fly in and out of Rum Key in in the Bahamas, which is just a a, a little backwater that the government had just built a five thousand foot runway on. Uh, five thousand foot runway is, is long enough for seven oh seven seven twenty sevens, um, and certainly long enough for twin engine um, prop planes. Um, that that are bouncing cocaine, you know, used to, to bounce cocaine from Colombia um, to the U.S. via um, via the Bahamas, which is what the Bahamas has been used for. I, you know, I, I hesitate to say since the dawn of time, but but um, um, it's been uh, the Bahamas have been a pirate infested um, deal for quite some time. All right, Josh, uh, closing comments on the clips that you just heard and uh, give us your final synopsis on the uh, two uh, presidential candidates. Well, just on on that last bit that they were discussing about the Bahamas being this transshipment point, I noticed that a lot of this smuggling that we're talking about happens through the air. So when people talk about building a wall to stem the flow of drugs into this country... What you're really talking about is building a wall to stem the flow from the competition who doesn't own DC-9s and uh, C-130s to get this stuff in efficiently uh, and in large scale. Uh, at least that's, that's what a wall, if any of this rhetoric is genuine, would spell for the deep state drug trade, uh, which is... <laughs> An, an interesting way to look at it that I don't think a lot of people have considered. No. Uh, and I think that they should. But Khashoggi is a guy who's connected to so many things through Iran-Contra, directly connected to BCCI, which is connected to Silverado, which is Neil Bush's enterpri- part of the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And the Bush family's part of the enterprise, whereas the Mena, Arkansas, and that bond scam was the Clinton part of that enterprise. They're right. all part of this same game. So, you know, it's one thing that Donald Trump is uh, buys the world's largest yacht from Adnan Khashoggi. Uh, it's another thing that, he, that Adnan Khashoggi attends his latest wedding with Melania Trump. Is Melania his wife or is that his daughter? I don't know. Uh yeah, uh, Ivanka maybe is his wife. I I don't. That I don't maybe these that's people. it. I'm, I get them all mixed. Melania, up. I think cares, is his right? daughter. Yeah. Yeah, Ivanka is that. Adam, anyways, Adnan Khashoggi is at his latest wedding. Yeah. But these are just like this could be written off as well. Billionaires buy yachts from each other, and billionaires go to billionaires' weddings. So what? I get that. It's true. It just demonstrates that they're friendly. So 
but if you take that one step further, if you're letting someone hide out at your resort <laughs> while they're on the on the run from Interpol for looting the second largest bank in Thailand, as uh, Donald Trump hi- supposedly did, you with mean Khashoggi? Yeah, Khashoggi. Yep. With Khashoggi at Mar-a-Lago, because Mar-a-Lago's uh, Donald Trump real estate development. Then that escalates potentially escalates your relationship from friends to maybe partners in crime. <laughs> ah, who knows? Well, yeah. the, go ahead. Well, and 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 Carl Icahn, uh, you know, another one of these figures that alt media for some reason posts this guy's content all the time as if he's some brilliant investor. <laughs> you know, he he's he's also caught up in this Florida game where you know uh, it's important to remember Donald Trump says this is the man that he he's pegged for Secretary of Treasury. That's right. Yeah, and uh, you know he's he's been caught making bogus investments in St. Petersburg uh, companies, mm-hmm. airline companies. Yep. That you know whose planes turn up tons five 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 point five tons of cocaine. Uh, I think it was. Yep, that's on right. The runway. Yep. Got busted so, right there on the tarmac. See you later. Exactly. So Florida's another one of these drug transshipment hotspots, mm-hmm. if you will. And uh, the fact that Donald Trump is doing business there, I mean, it it means that he has to interact with it at some level. Now, you know, what, as far as my synopsis on the two candidates, obviously Hillary Clinton, the Clinton enterprise, they're, they're criminals. And they have been for a long time. They, that's a, it's a family of power, just like the Bushes. Yep. Um, so, the, and on the Trump side of things, you can't, no one can deny the connections that, that we've outlined here tonight. And there's far more, you know, like Peter Thiel and PayPal, yep. which is used to launder lots of lots of drug money. Yep. Uh, Peter Thiel, also the head of Palantir, which is a an Inqtel uh, CIA subcontractor, cybersecurity firm, mm-hmm. who uh, has Trump's uh, or is has endorsed Donald Trump. Yep. Um, there's so many players involved in this game uh, that that are connected to him, mm-hmm. but it, it's been fun watching the Donald tear down both of those parts politically of the enterprise that being said is he's connected to it well he's that doing we, what a there's good no in- denying that well he's doing what good intelligence agencies do right remember the um and i hate to mike morell on you right there but um he does what um the intelligence operatives talk about in that uh, long peace revolution when you actually get uh some of these guys like um when you get Terry Reed that talks about um, it's almost like a form of gaslighting where you accuse the person that um, that you're up against of the same crimes that you would be that you're doing. So it's almost like a, a form it's of a def- transference. Transference. Thank you. I couldn't find the term. I could not find the term. So yeah, it, it's exactly what it is. So now, yeah. um, Josh, since we've got the since we got the wrap on that, and guys, I'm going to put everything in the show notes for you. I'm going to put. Um, I've got a clip from um, uh, the interview that Josh was talking about where the HSBC whistleblower talks about the majority of the payments that came through were on PayPal. So PayPal is obviously complicit in laundering this drug money as well. Uh, What better way to um, launder drug money than have a digital bank that uh, digitally launders money? So, um, Josh, yeah, go ahead. I'm I'm sorry. Before before we close this segment out. Is it capstone time? Maybe, and I'd like because I'd like to pick your brain about this because I think people who support Donald Trump or at least tend somewhat agree with his anti-globalist rhetoric uh, and want a protest candidate 
they'll listen to this podcast and they'll make excuses for these connections. Oh yeah, it's just so, a good business deal. It's all this other stuff. No. Well, for a moment, let's let's ponder two potential um, scenarios and see which one you think is most true. Okay. So ba- based on the fact that Donald Trump is undeniably connected to the deep state drug trade and its players, is Donald Trump a a John Kennedy, whose father, well, Joe Kennedy, was a mobster involved with the liquor trade, the FBI. He was, uh, he was a mobster mm-hmm. and, um, and certainly involved with the early parts of that deep state apparatus. Uh, also connected to you know people like the Dulles brothers and did a, a fair share of terrible things as president, like uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion, of course. Right. He was a tool of the establishment. Right. So is that is that what Donald Trump is? Is he an insider who's being put up for this job with with potentially a heart of gold or at least you know a, a good streak, or is he just lipstick on a pig and? I think and that he, he is. A, I think he's, that he's just part of part of part of the game, and and whether he gets in or not, it doesn't matter. I think that he is um, a great salesperson. So I don't think that he he may be genuine. I mean, there's a there's a very minute chance that he's that he's genuine, but um, <laughs> the way that I see some of the people that I know can be compromised in the alternative media and I know firsthand how they can be compromised and you know who I'm talking about as well that um, that tout him uh, undoubtedly unequivocally 100% are behind him I find it very I just find this entire uh, sideshow of the presidential reality show which is exactly what they've turned it into and which is what Donald's good at right he's good at reality television so he's good at sound bites. He's good at, you know, just imagine, just listen to the wave, folks. If you don't think that I, if you think that my uh, analysis of this is crap, just look at the way that he created the sound bite. Nationalism, as opposed to globalism, will be our credo. And he says it like that. And he pauses. He pauses so you can get the sound bite. Alex Jones took the bait. He did the sound bite. So. I find it, um, I just think that they're warring factions of who's going to control the enterprise. That's my, at the end of the day, that's the, when I look at all the different facts that are laid out in front of me with the ties to these characters, you know, you can argue the fact that, oh, he's just making business deals. Yeah, but um, smart businessmen don't make business deals that can land them in jail. So just understand that. If you're doing business with mafia lords and drug kingpins and people like that and people that put hits on other people and if you're selling them property, you're complicit, especially if you understand what their line of business is. So I find that to be too hard to believe. With that, yeah. Well, and, and if you're connected to that, you're, they've got leverage over you. Correct. It's all about leverage. You know? So with that being said, let's, um, let's hit it, Josh. We're going to it. We're going to go into it. That's right, everybody. It is time for the Alex Jones NLP Game Show starring everyone's favorite contestant, Josh Wiley. And what this entire segment entails, everyone, is bringing to light some of the lies, distruths, and disinformation that Alex Jones will bring to you. And occasionally we will cover 
Alex Jones shooting you straight and giving you the facts. That's why he's so good and so toxic to listen to. So, Josh, um, looking at my line of clips here, we have we have four different options for you tonight. We have only a crazy person wouldn't gamble on Donald Trump. We have someone listens to our show. We have poor grammar. This is actually not by Alex, but it's by one of his team members. And uh, number four, we have the truth from Alex Jones. Which one would you prefer? You know what, Jake? I appreciate all the truth telling that we've been doing tonight. Let's keep keep it rolling. Give me the truth. Alex Jones and the truth. Here we go. Whoa. Now, they know that at the point of this global government emerging, they're not going to be able to hide it anymore. For decades, they denied any of this was happening, any of this was going on. You go back 60 years, everything Barry Goldwater wrote has become true. Not because he was a rocket scientist, he was smart. But because he was in the Senate intelligence meetings where they were telling him the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation all came in and submitted reports to Congress and Congress followed their every word. We are under a planetary program that the United States with England launched against the globe. And you got to hand it to them. They're running the whole show, baby. What do you what do you think? What do you think? I think it's great, but I, I also think it might be cross-promotion for Sean Stone and Richard Grove's new book called New World Order, and it's about the Anglo-American establishment. Imagine that. Eviden- evidently, Sean Stone wrote his senior thesis on it at Princeton and discovered that there's one Harvard professor who essentially imported the Milner's kindergarten model to a bunch of early CIA dudes, and it's a bunch of original research. I'm very excited for it. That sounds like a big conspiracy theory. All right, let me turn down the uh, the volume of the game show background. So, all right, we got three clips left, Josh. Which one would you like to take? Um, we only have one opportunity for you to win SDRs today. So, we have left. We have only a crazy person wouldn't gamble on Trump. Someone listens to our show and poor grammar by Infowars. Uh, I'm crazy. You're crazy. Show me the crazy. Okay. Clip number one. The TPP legalizes slavery. It actually allows it. I mean, these people are monstrous criminals. And they're allied with the Republican criminals at the top who are all waging war against Donald Trump. Only a crazy person would not gamble on Trump. So there you go. Um, That was actually not the clip that I wanted. Where is the clip that I want here? Um... Boy, is that a dialectical loop. (laughs) Oh, man. I cannot find the the clip. Republicans are bad. Democrats are bad. Uh, Vote for Republicans. I I just played it to my wife. Um, um, Oh, here it is. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Here's your chance, Josh. All right, so I, I was trying to find the clip, and I already had it in the bin, so sorry about that, everyone. Let's uh, turn the volume back down. So I'll edit that out and post. Maybe I won't. I'll leave it in there. You guys can see what the flaws are. Speed bumps. 
Speed bumps in the operation, everyone. So back to it. Not, they're not fun, but they're part of the journey. Yeah, well, you know what? We put out a fine product. Okay, somebody listens to our show and poor grammar by InfoWars. Someone listens to our show is the best chance for you to win money, Josh. So which one would you prefer? I mean, I feel so starved in this carbon credit world of yours, uh, but I need to give you a loot, man. And see, we realize this because we live in reality. But the unfortunate problem we have is so many people recognize how Republicans and Democrats are corrupt. So they just assume Trump is a bad guy because he's with the Republican Party. He's making a run at the globalists. Clear. And the big criticism, if you, if you read some of his and people I've talked to, is he just thinks they're a bunch of big sacks of garbage. Why should they be running it? And that may be why they hate him. Maybe he's just taking it over from them. Okay, so Josh, here's your opportunity. What is the closing argument? Is it A, Hillary is a witch? Is there a B, Hillary is a demon? C, lesser of two evils argument? Or D, support the, support the broadcast so we can fight the globalists? Uh, can it be all four? No, it's only one of four. Oof. Oof. This is a tough one. Because normally I would go default with the demon. But I don't know if, I don't know if he's worked up enough for that at this moment. So what are what were my options again? Hillary is a witch. Hillary is a witch. demon. Demon. Lesser of two evils. It's not that one. Or support the broadcast and fight the globalists. B or D. Which one is your choice? Is she a demon or do we need to support the broadcast? Ah. Uh, let's go demon. I'm probably going to regret it, but I feel it. Here we go. Maybe it's an intramural gang battle. That's the only way Trump couldn't be for real. But still, it's a gamble. Hey, we know they're bad. Okay, so Josh gets... Oh, unfortunately, it was the lesser of two evils argument. We know that the... I was surprised. (laughs) But hey, did, did did you catch that little bit at the end there? Hey, we know they're bad, right? Did you know that when he said, only way Trump's not legit? Yes. You know, it's it's two warring factions in the same. <laughs> and what have we said on this broadcast? All right, so uh, for those of you that listen to the show, he's, you probably got a good kick out of that. Already laying down his uh, his way out. His escape plan, in, exactly. In, in, yeah, exactly. Okay, so now we have the last clip. I don't even know why I brought up the music, but we're going to close with uh, Poor Grammar by InfoWars, and then I will let Josh try to redeem himself and collect his long-lost Goldback SDR. That will be reweighted in October. Here we go. Yet another American community is descended on by violent ignorance masquerading as a civil rights protest after a black career criminal was taken out by a black police officer after dangerously brandishing a stolen firearm. So where are the leaders of the supposed righteous anger boiling over in Milwaukee? Typically, President Barack Obama fiddled on the golf course while Rome burned. Obama's deputy press secretary, Jen Friedman, provided a statement that read, The president is golfing at Farm Neck Golf Club, one of his favorite courses on Martha's Vineyard. Also today, the administration said the president had been updated on the situation in Milwaukee. Meanwhile, Obama protege and Soros-insulated leader of Black Lives Matter, DeRay McKesson, tweeted, I denounce the state violence that led to any protest.
protests in the first place. Is this statement a result of McKesson's shallow incomprehension in the face of total anarchy? Wrong use of the verb anarchy, my man. Josh, would you care to enlighten the people what the uh, etymologic, um, what are the etymology of the word anarchy means, please? Yeah, anarchy, the Greek word whose prefix an means uh, no, and uh, its suffix uh, arkos means rulers. So anarchy quite literally means no rulers. So I'm not sure that that this location InfoWars is talking about had no rulers. <laughs> and Josh ends up with an SDR. Congratulations, Josh. You have now raised your SDR total up to 2.5 for the entire year. That will get you a one-way trip on a C-138 to Nicaragua. Aren't you excited? Here we go. I can't stop off in, uh, in Hong Kong where they're now redeemable for, for renminbi. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this evening. Be sure to tip your waiters and waitresses, folks, and we will see you next time on the Alex Jones NLP Game Show. So we have one... We have two clips left, Josh, and I'm going to let you go dealer's choice here. We can do... Um, actually, I'm, I'm not going to let you choose anything. You chose in the uh, Alex Jones NLP, so now we're going to go to uh, covering... Uh, the big banks and how they tie in to all of this drug money laundering, and that's going to be our closing clip. But let's go back just a couple of weeks, Josh, where all this money got shipped to this little country called Iran. And uh, magically, these hostages left at the same time. So let's hear how the mainstream media covers this with a slip in a little bit of truth and then run away from it. Here we go. This is psychological warfare. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got to restart it. There we go. Fronts. Yeah, as Charles said, you know, this is psychological warfare at this point. Uh, Iran is thumbing its nose at the United States uh, because of because of all of these uh, decisions uh, that we're talking about right here. My favorite part of this, you know, I mean, the, the thing about dropping it down to ninety nine million nine hundred ninety nine. I mean, that, literally, that is something that drug dealers do. That's what what people who are mo- laundering money do in order to uh, you know to avoid being uh, being um, found out that they're they're withdrawing these huge uh, pots of money. But going back to the thing that... There's a vast ocean of shit that you people don't know shit about. There we go. So that was the mainstream media. He got so nervous because he threw... He he wanted to throw some truth at you, but he didn't know how he was going to, you know, sandwich that in with a bunch of fast-talking and and, uh, obfuscation. So what do you think, Josh? Oh man, when I heard that clip uh, live on Fox, I, no, I no, called no. you up. Please tell me, please tell the audience how this happened because this is true serendi- serendipitousness or serendipity. It was truly serendipitous what happened. Oh, so uh, my father's watching Fox News uh, and uh, at least has it running in the background. And I happened to hear that. Cl- uh, well, I, first I, I watched it because they did a segment on Fetula Gulen. I was incredibly surprised to see that that Gulen was even talked about on the news, uh, although they mispronounced his name. <laughs> uh, on purpose, probably. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And uh, that this segment, this clip that you just pulled, was directly after the Gulen segment. So 
you know, we, we struck gold twice in one broadcast. Imagine that. All right, so now we are going to uh, we're going to end the show with how this all ties together, and this will hopefully bring it all full circle for everybody, uh, showing exactly what I talked about at the very beginning in my monologue, um, which ran a little long, and I do apologize for that, but I really wanted to set this up as one of the shows that you can send to people that are wondering about um, which um, which mafia boss they want to run the Enterprise, and uh, hopefully be able to have an, an ed- educated conversation, and uh, through all the links and um, articles that I'm going to post on wearenotcattle.net under show notes of uh, podcast episode 129 that you will be able to go and do some forensic research for yourself, uh, maybe even step out of the gamut that we've laid in front of you and um, try to make some of these connections for yourself and then come to your own conclusions because we're not here to teach you what to think or how to think and gosh, believe you me, we promise to uh, never try to get you to do that. We are here to coach you on how to do a little bit of research and um, open your mind up to different possibilities and then you can have a more constructive debate uh, regarding uh, real forensic history uh, facts and uh, leave a lot of the emotion out of it, which has uh, gotten us into a lot of trouble recently uh, with the advent of social media. So, um, Josh, this is the last clip, and then I'll... Um, I don't know if we're going to have... We'll still have time for the solution segment. So here we go. Um, Justice Department, this $1.9 billion fine that was supposedly paid by HSBC, that's missing. Is the Justice Department looking for that money? How do we know it was paid? Does, do they claim it was paid and they're just going to ch- uh, charge the shareholders? How's that work? $1.9 billion supposedly fine. Nobody knows. Was it paid? Don't know. Who was it paid to? Don't know. Congress does not know where the money is. The Senate Judiciary Committee does not know where the money is. Who was it paid to? No one in the Justice Department will answer to it. The banks not answering to it. So where's the money? Are you familiar with uh, the the dark web project that was known as the Silk Road while it was running before that went to the Justice Department? No. The Silk Road was using the dark net as a free market model. So it was like an Amazon or eBay, but it was done on the dark web where people could buy and sell anything and deal with each other as individuals, and it used a digital currency for the most part called Bitcoin. Uh, the government busted it. This was under the Eric Holder administration. Um, they had government agents that had infiltrated the Silk Road and had command and control, and then they hung the guy out to dry who had created the actual website and wasn't you know, uh, accused of the th- – anyway, uh, what I'm getting at is there's uh, – the, the Silk Road project was an attempt to create a free market in a space that's monopolized by these big banks. And unwittingly, he's competing – uh, the creator web of the website was competing with this monopoly that you're describing from the HSBC angle. And so the monopoly that is uh, controlling these too big to fail banks gets its money historically from the drug trade. And when somebody goes out there and tries to create a parallel to that and doesn't know about that existing structure being in place, uh, that that individual got prosecuted by the government such that he got two life sentences and a hundred and eighty million dollar fine for trying to compete with their existing monopoly. So I guess that my, my question that I'm building to is, if you had known the history of how the banks really work in a multinational black market fashion for their real profits, if you had known that, would you still have a career today or would you be off evangelizing the truth as you are now? 
I would not have a career today in banking, no. Right. I'd be working in credit unions otherwise or doing something else. Yeah, being part of the solution. It's like yes. they prevent people from being part of the solution by you know, maintaining this illusion that there's an equal you know, rights system out there and freedom and justice isn't just an illusion in America. It's something real. But when you get down to it, the people who are trusted and, uh, and sometimes appointed or elected in there uh, to defend our rights aren't. These are the people who are driving the getaway car for these international criminals who are pillaging and plundering the wealth of America. Well done, Richard Grove. Well done. All right, so Josh, let's um, let's put some bookends on this thing. But I thought that that was a good clip to bring us full circle because it uh, touches on everything that you and I describe on the on the podcast uh, almost weekly with um, big banks laundering. Um, millions of dollars, the uh, setup of the Federal Reserve System and how that's a private entity and uh, mainly a clearinghouse as well, doing now monetizing debt, and we don't know where all that money is going. So um, your closing comments, or do you want to do, we do have the solution segment lined out. Do you want to do that on this show, or do you think we should save it for uh, a different show because we're almost at an hour and a half right now? Well, I think we can launch into it and make it real quick. Because yeah, because it's not a lot to get into. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, cause, and that clip that you played is just such a perfect bookend on it because it, it, it mentions the solution in the Silk Road. Can, and, I give my, and the can, I, can I give myself a coin? Absolutely. All right. All right, fantastic. All right, go ahead. That's not SDR convertible, though, is it? No, it's, it's really not. It's, um, it's, just, um, it's just audio currency, so it doesn't really count. Mm. It actually might cost you a few carbon credits. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that because my um, my tablet is running, so I'm probably gonna have to pay some carbon taxes for this. You're a terrible human being, but uh, you know, Rich mentions uh, the Silk Road, and uh, that isn't that was a, a closed source solution mm-hmm. uh, that competed directly with the cartel, and you know it was stamped down incredibly hard. Um, but that being said, it doesn't mean that people shouldn't try things like this in all avenues of life. Which kind of is our solution segment in the sense where it's like open source everything. Yep. And James James Corbett has actually done done a podcast on this. Uh, but you know we open source information. Uh, me through my writing primarily these days, and you through this broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we we also and I'm thinking now about not thinking. I'm going to do it. I'm going to write a book um, about how to how to set up a. a a homestead, an off-grid homestead, and build a house with very low taxation, uh, and you know, be able to be legally off the grid by mm-hmm. essentially hacking, hacking the legal system. That's I'm right. Gonna open, I'm going to open source their bugs, and uh, we'll see if they patch the system after this release. Mm-hmm. But I think people, I think people will find that they can get away with a, a lot legally without having the state harass them. Hey, if uh, Donald Trump can create shell corporations that can buy, you know, or you know, drug dealers can create shell corporations that can buy million-dollar condos, why can't you uh, exercise your right to be a free and independent human being? Yeah, well, and it's, it's a model that's replicable enough to the point where, you know, if, if the idea of going completely off the grid in a house that requires no inspections and your property taxes are roughly $200 a year, I mean, if that, if that lifestyle and that model sounds appealing to you, then people should know that you can do that in almost every state in this country. You might have to move across your state to do it. You might have to, you know, move to the next state over. Uh, but you can do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jake, we both came to the epiphany recently um, 
me through just doing a lot of this stuff, I've been really practicing a lot of HTML, CSS, JavaScript, that kind of stuff, that even though we're participating in the open source revolution, which is the, a large part of the solution, we are cut off from it in that we don't know how to actively develop software. We don't know how to program. Right. And we've both talked about remedying that in the very near future because, mm-hmm. you know, we all have to be participating in this in some front. And if you can, the more fronts you can participate in it on, the better. Right. And that was one of the, um, one of the, I guess, overarching themes of our conversation the other day and the epiphany that you came to. And I, I had the same uh, kind of mindset. Um, obviously, I have, um, I have a, a kid, so uh, I'm investing in the, in the next generation and going to make sure that she has uh, certain tools in her toolkit that, um, number one, won't be necessarily taught in public school, um, but number two will be um, skills that will never, that will never deplete or will always have value. And that's what um, you and I were talking about last night was what's going to be the future, um, the future value? What's going and in investing in what's going to be valuable in the future? And you and I both came to the same conclusion that uh, with the with the advent of uh, high automation, with the uh, with the coming online of um, what they call um, AI technology. That coding is going to be valuable in the future. No matter how rudimentary your coding uh, skills may be, you're going to need it at some at some uh, marker in in this uh, future world that we're going to be in. And it's not going to be 30 years from now. It'll probably be um, less than 10, where if you have some kind of knowledge of, of a script, and this will even apply to somebody getting a corporate job, if you have some knowledge of how to um, program uh, little applications, or if you have some way to uh, debug a computer screen, or if you uh, understand networking uh, and can do networking troubleshooting, uh, if you start seeing a lot of packet collisions on the network and things of that nature, and setting up VLANs and, and creating your own uh, secure network, those are going to be valuable skills that um, that corporations, uh, individuals, and uh, businesses in general will be looking for because they're not going to need uh, somebody to answer the phones anymore because we have digital receptionists. We have um, IVR systems that can process uh, credit card payments over the phone that don't have to talk to a customer service representative anymore. So the, the future of automation, you have to adapt to what's going to have value. And you and I uh, both came to the conclusion that coding, or at least understanding it, uh, and, and probably even being able to read it and, and write it yourself, is going to be extremely valuable because then you can create um, what you and I talked about um, the other night, which is a parallel structure. So even if the internet goes down, you have the skill set to go out and grab a couple of blade servers, old blade servers or something like that, throw them uh, in your, um, throw them in a rack in one of your rooms in your basement, connect it to uh, a, a, um, an, a connection, and um, as long as you can get to that, um, as long as you can get to that IP address from somewhere outside of of, uh, of your network, then you, you're basically creating a rudimentary internet that can, that can be built without the limitations that, um, that the UN may impose on us here in October. So for those of you that are unaware, the, the internet 
and the regulating of the internet, and we've already seen this, Josh has talked about it on the show before, um, has, has already started to come to fruition. I don't know what kind of impact it'll be, but you best get yourself prepared for understanding that the way the internet functions now, we probably will not have that functionality, uh, especially when people talking about certain things in, in certain manners the way that Josh and I do, calling out certain elements of the power structure, pointing, uh, pointing people in a different direction, getting people to think in a certain way. It's very detrimental to people that have closed source architectures and more importantly, a closed source way of thinking, which um, I think that when you look at the elite class, uh, the the one-tenth of one percent, the power elite, the Kissingers, uh, and the people that are backing him, uh, the George Soroses of the world, those those types of figures, uh, closed source is the way that they want the world because they have command and control. Uh, we want open source because we want to be able to share information. We want human beings to be able to make the best possible decision that you can make because you need all the information to make the best possible decision. And that's why we create alternative media is to give you more sources of information rather than just rhetoric and talking points and pickle jars. Uh, Josh, your closing comments. I just know that it it doesn't matter whether your source is open or closed if your audience is is illiterate, is source code illiterate. If they can't read it, yeah, if they can't read it, it doesn't matter, which is why American kids aren't being taught how to read how to read and write code and and Chinese kids are and you know and sing, and kids in Singapore are are trained in, in software development from a very young age mm-hmm. um, so and again talking about viewing people in the anglo-american establishment you know as as cartoon villains you know someone like Newt Gingrich who's an ardent transhumanist <laughs> has surrounded himself uh, you know around Donald Trump and doubtlessly has a place in that future regime he but Newt Gingrich comes at it from, you know, the cybersecurity Palantir-esque kind of angle, you know, the digital superstate. Uh, so I don't appreciate those parts of his views. But according to Catherine Austin Fitz, when Newt Gingrich discovered uh, that NAFTA, GATT, and the Uruguay Round were about deindustrializing America, evidently he had proposed uh, a plan that he wanted bipartisan support for, saying, okay, if, if they're getting rid of industrial our industrial base and there's nothing we can do about it, we have to replace it with something. And his plan essentially was to give a laptop to every child in America to learn how to program. Now, is what Newt Gingrich wanted to do with that program his ultimate ends for building, you know, a, the, these Palantir cybersecurity-esque APIs and locking down the internet? Is that a good thing? No. But is giving kids laptops and teaching them skills a, a bad thing? Is that evil? No. His intentions, maybe not necessarily, but knowledge is imparting knowledge is not evil. Right. Knowledge is um, knowledge is agnostic. Right. It can it can go either way. Just like um, just like currencies or any of these other things that we talk about, money can be used for um, doing good and volunteering, and and your energy can be used for uh, doing good things, or it can be used to the detriment of society. Yes. Yeah. And that's the the primary thing is you know you talk about these open source alternative realities on in cyberspace and you know we don't even have to think about although the ultimate end game would be some sort of mesh network that's not the internet that people use instead mm-hmm. that would be great yep but even even short of that you know we're already doing that or people are already doing that in so many different respects with open source software with cryptocurrencies 
where these experiments end up in 10, 20, 30 years, there's a lot of negative things about them as well, about mm-hmm. blockchain technology, machine to machine, yep. a lot of insidious people working on those technologies. But for now, it's open to all of us to play with. And, you know, America is a land of ingenuity. Uh, if we look toward to the 1800s and the Industrial Revolution, uh, you know, so many of these great inventors and, and progress in that respect came from here. A lot of it came from from Europe as well, but that was a corporate conglomerate that controlled those those ideas. And in America, it was individual entrepreneurs, which is why we have a funda- had a fundamentally different model and way of living and culture from Europe that mm-hmm. we broke off from so long ago. So I just wonder what would happen if the American people at large could put their their will as they did in the Industrial Revolution towards this latest le- revolution of software and increasingly I, robotics. I agree. All right. So that's, um, that's it for the show, everyone. Um, uh, myself, thank you for, for listening. Myself, uh, Jake Counts, and Josh Wiley of statelesshomesteading.com. Uh, we will be back sometime in the not-too-distant future, hopefully with as just as informative as a podcast as you heard tonight. I'm sorry that they aren't as condensed as they were before as far as being closer together. But um, we want to bring you a quality product that you can share uh, with people you know, people you love, people you like, and um, and start a different conversation rather than the, the same old one that we have. Because Josh made a great point. As much as there are challenges in America, we do have the utmost opportunity here. And it's only if the individuals can take heed of that opportunity and capitalize on it and do something with the freedoms that we still have will we be able to uh, create change that will be beneficial official for all human beings around the world as well as for the generations to come so thank you so much to josh wiley for joining me peace love and liberty remember everyone rise above the rhetoric and don't vote